Welcome to the Revivify Church Podcast. Here at Revivify, we exist to bring people into a fully devoted relationship with Jesus. As you listen, we pray that you experience a life-changing love of Jesus and come to know Him in a deeper way. I want to say this. It's good to be back. I'm glad that we're, we're back home. We miss, we miss home when we're gone. Uh, thank you for allowing us to be away. Um, but I will tell you this. What you've received the last few weeks has been nothing more than just pure meat of the Word of God. Amen? Absolutely. You say, how do you know you weren't here? Because I read his notes before he preached it. And I will tell you, it is great stuff. And I want to give honor to Devin today, my son, for stepping up and doing what he has been doing the last few weeks. It has been deep stuff. And we've had many conversations about it. And here's, this is how we grow. We're talking about the presence. We're talking about our role as priests in his presence and how we're supposed to act. Church isn't supposed to be something we just come to and just kind of mess around and get our jollies, if you will, and then leave and go have a nice dinner somewhere and then come back and repeat and do it all over again. No, we have a responsibility in the kingdom of God, a responsibility as priests in the presence of God. And today he's going to wrap up that series. And so would you welcome Devin to this stage for me? Would you, if you are appreciative of what you've heard. Let's bless the man right now. Wow. I'm not sure if I'm ever going to get used to hearing that from you. And I am really nervous. Can I be honest? Um, I have been extremely nervous to preach more than normal the last three weeks. I mean, today I am just clammy hands type nervous. Um, <clears throat> but I really do believe that as we wrap up this series that this is the way forward that the Lord has given us. And I'm just so honored that he trusted me to bring this word to the church. Um, well, if you don't know me, I'm uh, Pastor Devin. I'm Pastor Jason's son. Don't judge me. Um, <laughs> Now, as always, before I preach, I do want to give honor to the pastor of the house. Thank you for allowing me to even be here. Thank you. In the last few weeks while you were gone, I definitely raided your closet. And yes, these are your pants. Appreciate that. She told me to wear them when I preached. It was her fault. I was going to give them back. But yeah, they're mine now. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> All right. So we're going to read out of First uh, Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to read a portion of scripture we've read for two weeks. This will be our third week in a row reading the same portion of scripture. 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to start in verse number 4. It says, You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him. But for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word, and so they meet the fate that was planned for them. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, 
God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. The last two weeks, we've asked the questions, what is the church supposed to be? What is the church supposed to do? This week, we're going to be discussing how we're going to get there. Let's just pray real quick as we go in. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to bring your word. God, thank you for your presence that was in this house this morning. Lord, we honor you above all things. Lord, I pray that you would soften every heart, open every mind, and give me the ability to speak this word as you have given it. In Jesus' name, the church says, amen. amen. All right, so we're going to recap real quick. To recap, we started off the whole series, week one, by reading Exodus 19, 5 and 6. It says, now if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you'll be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth. For all the earth belongs to me. And you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. We talked about how that was the first time we heard that phrase, holy priests. But this was not a new concept. Remember, this was something that had the entire, the whole Bible has this theme about us becoming priests in his kingdom. God wanting to come in and commune with his people. The Bible actually starts in Genesis in the, in the, book of, or in the, uh, the Garden of Eden. And when sin came in, God had to leave the garden. And it was this whole thing. But God was able to commune with his people. And the Bible ends in Revelation chapter 22, where God once again can commune with his people in the New Jerusalem. And remember, it's not that, it wasn't the fact that God was too arrogant or pompous to be with his people. It was just that he is so holy, he cannot be in the presence of sin. His holiness literally consumes everything that's around him, and people actually die if they get too close, if they were, too, if they were unclean around him. So almost the entire New Testament was this theme of God building the kingdom of, of, of Israel, trying to come in and commune with his people. Sin enters the situation, the kingdom of Israel either being destroyed or them going into exile or being captured and serving as slaves somewhere, and then God would come in, he would rescue them again, and then it was this whole thing that would happen time and time and time again. We see this, this, this pattern where God would try to reestablish his kingdom. But it never worked. Every time we, he would reestablish the kingdom, people would get in the way. People, right? We are faulted people. People would get in the way, sin would enter the situation, and God could not commune with his people. So we had to have a way. There had to be a way for us to, to talk with God, some, some, some way for us to be with God. Enter the priest. The priest was a person that stood between God and people. They, they, they served in the temple. They, a lot of them lived in the temple. They had all these duties within the temple. And in order for us to come before God, if we wanted forgiveness for our sins or any of these things, we had to then bring a sacrifice to the priest who would sacrifice on our behalf for the atonement of our sins. And this was a practice until Jesus. And then Jesus came on the scene. He atoned the, the one final perfect sacrifice for our sin. And we no longer have to do that anymore. We no longer have to, to go to a priest to be with God. The Bible says that Jesus became the mediator. Jesus became our high priest, and we became priests in his kingdom. We have a job to do. So then last week we talked about, the, 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 of all the duties of the priest, we can really sum them up into two main categories. The number one being knowing how to come before God 
And when I say know how to come before God, remember, that's a whole lot more than just showing up to church on Sunday. There is a process. And the priests knew there was a process. Remember, God wants to be worshipped the way that he wants to be worshipped, and we don't get to make those decisions because we're not God. We don't get to choose how he gets worship. He decides that, and we give it to him. The second thing was that they mediated between God and man. They stood in the gap. They offered sacrifices on our behalf. They took care of the temple. And just because Jesus came and died doesn't mean we don't offer sacrifices today. Remember, it's not that we're up here, you know, slaying goats on the altar and burning them to heaven. It's not that anymore. But we still do give spiritual sacrifices. We still do sacrifice of our time. We still do sacrifice of ourselves for the betterment of other people. We still give sacrifices. So that's how we got to today. So we know what we're supposed to do. We know who we're supposed to be. Remember, we're a holy priesthood. We, we take care of the temple. We know how to come before God. We still mediate between God and people. We, we know all these things. But the question is, is now that we have the head knowledge, how do we actually get there? How do we actually take the next step in becoming the holy priesthood that God has called us to be? A church that exists to please people does not please God. I want you to think about that. A church that exists to please people does not please God. We have to be careful that we do not misidentify the church as something that exists to please us or serve our needs. When the church becomes more about, it, more about what it can do for people, it then trades covenant with God for membership with people. When, when the church becomes about what it can do for people, we become like the YMCA selling memberships and self-help classes. And we begin to look at the word as, how can I read this to fix all of my problems? The church, <laughs> thank you. The church is not a social club. The church is not a spiritual fitness center. We don't just come to church so we can be a little bit better and then proceed on our way. We don't get to just come to church so we can feel a little better about ourselves and have a better week. Would we actually still come to church week after week after week if every time we left, we walked back into the same mess that we walked in with? Because while Jesus can change everything, he might have you in that situation for a reason and he's going to be there till you learn. And here's what happens, is we do this thing where we walk into the church expecting God to just fix all of our problems, and when he doesn't, after about eight weeks, we're kind of checked out. And we, we, see this, we see this especially, I think it was 2019, we baptized how many people? Oh my gosh, like 100 people, seriously. And we had one service, I'll never forget it. <laughs> I care, I had so much pride, it was so bad. We had one service in particular where... We, we had like eight baptisms, and I preached. We opened up for baptism again, and like 20 more people got baptized. You remember that? Maybe you don't. I don't know. And I was like, oh, look what God did. And I'm, I'm not, I, and I think I was. I really thought that I was being very humble about it. I was not at all. The Lord revealed that to me on our sabbatical this year. I wasn't at all. But we see that with, 
Like situations like that. We had all these people that got baptized, and I'm not kidding you, within six months, and that's like being a little long, within six months, it was like three of the 24 people were, were still in the church. Not our church, in church, period. At Like serving Jesus. Because we think, oh, let me just get dunked and I'm going to get all my problems fixed. The church is not about you and I. And if a church is more concerned about what it can do for me, if I'm more concerned when I'm looking for a church, when, when, I, when, I, when I become a, a, a member, I hate that term, but a, a, I, I call a church my home, if I'm more concerned about what it can do for me than how it can honor Jesus, then I have stepped in to consumerism. And when a church becomes more focused on its programs, when a church becomes more focused on its branch ministries, we step into consumerism because it becomes about what is better for the people who call the church home. As long as you still keep giving your tithe and writing those offering checks, then we step in to consumerism. And I'm all for programs. Hear me, I'm not saying we shouldn't have programs. I believe churches should have rocking kids' ministries. Ours does. I believe, I believe that churches should have extremely talented and anointed Worship departments. Ours does. I believe our connections team should be the first smiling face for someone walks in and has a bad week. They say, there's the person at the door smiling. Hi, welcome to church. You know, like, it should be all those things, but it cannot be the main thing. We should have all of these things, yes. But if we begin to spend all of our time perfecting our programs, we can absolutely leave Jesus behind. The church is not about blessing. There's a song. I hate this song, and I, I swear I hear it once a week on social media. <laughs> it says, uh, I can feel the presence of the Lord, and I'm going to get my blessing right now. It's an old song. It's, anyway, you don't know it. But it's, it's, I see it all the time, and I hear it, and I'm like, no! That's not how it works. The church is not about blessing. The church is not about healing. Wow, that's quiet. The church is not about getting back what was lost. The church is not even about restoration. But all of that happens when Jesus shows up. All of that happens when Jesus walks in to the room. But we have to get to that place. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 through 18 says, But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had, who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of God. And the Lord, who is Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. And yes, what that means is that when you're around the presence of the Lord, there is freedom, but you also cannot walk out the same. You can't be the same when you walk into the presence of Jesus. He actually changes everything. So now we're going to get practical. We're going to get practical. How do we keep from being consumers? 
How do we become and stay? Now, I'm saying become and stay because this is not just something that should be hype. This is not just something that should be, oh, good word, pastor, thank you. No, this should be something that becomes a part of us. How do we become and stay a church of holy priests? We go a little more practical than that. We're going to get some steps here, okay? (laughs) The first thing, if you're taking notes, the first thing, we have to take his presence seriously. Our heart posture matters. You understand that? Our heart posture matters. And all of this starts, taking his presence seriously, starts before we ever show up at the building. It starts before we ever show up on campus, before the 10 a.m. countdown turns off and someone's up here praying us into service, and that's all great and wonderful. Those are things we should do, yes. But our heart posture, long before we get there, has to change. A lot of you know I lead worship, and the first song is always the hardest because it's like, if we could just get people to pay attention, please. And I'll be, even this year, you know, I talked with Jay. I don't know where Jay's at in the room, but I talked with Jay. There he is. I talked with Jay about changing this because we, we literally, even like as early, like as late as this year, we were just throwing a first song in there just to get people's attention. We didn't even care what it said. Like, just throw the song and there's people listen, please. And this happened in the middle of, I'll never forget this. I don't know if you were here or not. I was leading worship and I'm singing this song. And the Lord convicted me so hard in the middle of the song. He was like, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. I'm like, I wish I was joking. I'm not. And I just stopped. I stopped it. I was so convicted. Like, that's not what we should be doing. We shouldn't, we should not have to, Jesus should not have to fight for your attention. Jesus should not have to fight for your praise and your worship. He is deserving of that as he is. Matthew 18, verse 19 and 20 says, I also tell you this. If two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. I have heard this verse all my life. Leave leave that portion up there. Two or three gather together as my followers. Other, other translations would say, in my name. Are we actually gathering as his followers? No, think about this for a minute. I, I'm compl- like, yes, we all love Jesus. We all at least like him, or maybe you're considering Jesus. I don't know where you are, and that's okay. Like, but I would say the vast majority, you showed up on a Sunday morning, you got out of bed on your day off, and you came to church. I would say that you at least are interested in this Jesus fellow. But when we show up, are we actually showing up as his followers? Um, I'm going to leave that for another sermon. Do we actually believe when we walk into the house of God that everything can change? Do we come to church with expectation and anticipation for entering his presence? Or do we just show up out of routine? I really debated saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway. I haven't been fired yet. (laughs) Here's the telltale sign of someone who looks at church as as a check-of-the-box item. Oh, man. 
Do we ever talk about church outside of church? Do our, do our neighbors, do our coworkers, do the people in our lives every day that we live with actually know about the church? Do they actually know about Jesus? Because when he's just a check-the-box item, it's like going to the gym. Let me get here. Let me Instagram it. Let me, oh, thank you, Lord. I'm worshiping. Get my phone out. Thank you, Jesus. Yep, that's going to be a good. All right, nice. But do we actually ever talk about it with people that may not know Jesus? Do we ever actually invite anyone into the house of God, or is it just a check-the-box item? Is it just something we do because we grew up doing it or we feel compelled do we actually take this presence seriously? If we are to shed consumerism in our church, then we have to prepare our hearts before ever entering his house. We have to show up with expectation. Walking into the church knowing, I know that Jesus is going to be here. I know that Jesus, I, I get to be in the presence of Jesus today to show up with the expectation. Second thing I believe we can do to keep ourselves away from consumerism in our church is to live in community with others. I'm talking about living in real community with the people that we are brothers and sisters in Christ with. Letting people actually get into our lives, digging into other people's lives, investing our time into our brothers and sisters we cannot do life alone. And hear this. Spiritual trouble always manifests itself as social isolation. When we become spiritually troubled, we draw back from everybody at the church. When I get a little bent, when I get a little uh, bitter, if we're allowed to say that word, I begin to isolate myself from people within the church and only begin to talk with people who feel the same way I do. But when we're invested in the lives of people around us and we allow people to invest in us, then they can go, hey, something's not right in your spirit and I believe we should pray. You want to fast? We should fast. We got to figure this out. We have to live in community with others. John, uh, James 5, 16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. This was a very common thing in the book of Acts, the early church. Acts chapter 2, 42-47, right after the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Those two things are important when living in community. I got people over my house tonight. Dang it. Not joy and generosity. All while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. If you're not in community, you're going to struggle spiritually. 
If I'm not letting people invest into me and me invest back into them, I am going to struggle spiritually. I need someone to call me out when I'm wrong. I need someone that I can, hey man, I'm really struggling today. I need people I can trust and that I can do life with. And look, there's going to be two major ways. I'm going to make this very practical. The first one is join a team. Our teams meet and hang out and love each other. Just this past week, we had um, uh, the Connections team did a big Connections dinner up here, fed everybody, hung out. They're a team. They hang out together. Our youth team, we spent years building a youth team that does life together, get on a team and do life together. The second way, we have heard you asking, we're going to do it, community groups or life groups, excuse me, life groups, we're calling it a different name. We're going to reopen life groups. If you want to get into community with people, we need hosts for life groups. Pastor Jeremy, raise your hand over there. Go see that guy. Just go run him down, tackle him in the hallway. Go see that guy. We need people to offer up their homes. We've heard so many people asking, let's do life groups, let's do life groups, let's do life groups. But we have like three people willing to open up their homes. It don't work like that. Go see Pastor Jeremy after service. We're going to get these things relaunched. Moving on to the next thing. The third thing is we have to become a house of prayer. We have to become a house of prayer. And if we become a house of prayer, we will be a people of prayer. Second Chronicles 7.14, Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. Prayer connects us to the heart of God. Prayer is communion with God. We have too many Christians looking for sermons, devotionals, therapy sessions to fix their problems and not going to God and go, God, what do you want out of this situation? Now, devotionals, sermons, therapy, all of it is good. I support all of it. A part of all three. Absolutely. But it cannot be the thing that we run to first. The first thing we need to run to is the feet of Jesus. Jesus, what do you want out of this situation? Jesus, how do I get out of this? Jesus, what do you want? We start there, and then we run every other sermon we hear, every devotional we read, and every therapy session we attend through the lens of a what did God tell me? One of the most powerful things I think I've ever heard is when sitting down with someone. It's in a premarital uh, counseling session. I pointed something out that I believe needed to be fixed. It was going to be not good in their marriage. And he responded with, wow, that's really good advice. Let me pray on that. I was like, yes. Do pray on that. (laughs) Please. (laughs) Prayer has to be the backbone of everything that we do. Everything. You know that, that, that verse that says pray without ceasing? That's not talking about walking around, speaking in tongues. No, that's not what I'm saying, okay? What it's saying is living a life of prayer where I never stop talking to God. Even the little things. You're at the mall. I don't know why you're there. I'm sorry you're there, but I'm, you're at the mall. And it's, it's way packed out. You drink, Lord, can you just give me a parking spot? Just please? 
And then, like Jessalyn always does, a car backs up right at the front row. I promise you, if I'm with her, I get a front row parking. If not, I'm seven miles away <laughs> taking the bus to get to where I have to go. I don't get it. Maybe I'm not praying enough. I don't know. But living a life of prayer, when you're at work and your coworker begins to tell you about the things that are going on, man, that is awful. Can I, can I pray with you? Can, man, that really, can I, can I pray for that? Instead, we have resulted to Facebook comments, prayers, sending prayers. Sending prayers. Prayers for the family. <laughs> oh, I'm glad I'm not on Facebook anymore. <laughs> it doesn't make me a good person. But we do that. We, 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 result, we, we resorted from actually seeking the face of Jesus to, well, here's a, I'll be praying for you. What would that do to somebody? Who doesn't know Jesus when you go, well, hey, I, I actually kind of believe prayer works, and I know this Jesus guy. So do you, would it hurt? Can I, just, can I pray with you right now? Where you are? Where you actually put your money where your mouth is and believe that whether or not you do what I hope you're going to do, I, I still believe that your plan is better, so I'm going to pray anyway publicly and in front of people and actually be the church. really felt like this was something that we needed to do. And with the holiday season and everything coming up, we don't want to take up another night of your week. So what we're going to do is, on Sunday mornings, in an effort to become a house of prayer, on Sunday mornings, at 9.45, we're going to turn this room into a prayer room. Before service. Before service. And you don't have to come in here if you don't want to, but together as a church, as the body of Christ, we're going to come together and seek his face. Can we do that for 15 minutes before service together? Together? We're together. We, we, we make sure we dedicate this place back to him. Lord, this is your house. Jesus, this is your house. You do what you want, Jesus. Because what I believe will happen from that is I believe we're going to start in prayer sometimes, so we're not going to end. We're just going to pray. And we're going to pray, and we're going to pray, and Jesus is going to show up, and we're going to keep praying, and we're just going to have a day where the body of Christ comes together and actually prays and talks to Jesus. Be a better church service than that. I'm closing right here, but James 5, 13 through 15 says, Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. This is one of the 17,324 bajillion verses in the Bible on prayer. We have to be a people prayer. Everything we do. Think about what our lives would look like if before any decision was made, we prayed. I mean, any little things. I'm not talking about like 
praying over the food. I'm talking about like, God, is this what you want for my life? Just in this moment, just small things. God, am, am I supposed to do this today? What if the first thing we did in the mornings was to actually wake up and go, okay, God, today I'm yours. God, today I am yours and you do with me as you wish. Set, set people in front of me that I can meet, that I can talk to about you, Jesus. The fourth thing that I believe we have to do if we're going to be a kingdom of priests, a church that is a holy priesthood, is we must become dissatisfied with good church. We can have good church, right? We can show up and sing three songs, take up an offering, have an inspirational message, sing one more, maybe cry a little, and then head on home, and that was good church. But we must become dissatisfied with the norm. We have to become dissatisfied with, oh, that was good church. Did Jesus show up? Did Jesus show up? See, because there's a difference in the omnipresence of Jesus, which the omnipresence being he's everywhere at one time in all things, he exists in all places. And then there's the manifested presence of Jesus. I was trying to figure out a way to like put this in words because like if you've been in a room when this has happened, it's, it's, it's completely indescribable. You really cannot use the English language to capture what this means. Actually, I was having a conversation with Pastor Jeremy a few months ago about it, and he described it as a God bomb. And it, that was like the best description I've ever heard. It's like you're in the room and you're honoring the Lord, you're, you're worshiping Jesus, and all of a sudden he just drops like a God bomb in the room, and it's like, what just happened? Was his manifested presence really here, or was the music just really good? actually wait on the Lord? Did we actually wait on him? And we did for a minute today, and it was beautiful. There was a moment towards the end of worship. Savannah was leading, and the room was just still. And everyone was in, in reverence and awe. And we just sat here and waited on the Lord. Psalms 37, 7 says, be still in the presence of the Lord. Wait patiently for him to act. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. One of the hardest things to do as a worship leader is lead us into a moment of stillness and quiet because I can feel 400 eyeballs looking at me, waiting on the next thing. And what if the next moment we went into this moment of stillness and waiting on the Lord, everyone in the room just quit watching the worship leader, 
closed their eyes and waited on the Lord. Just waited. Jesus, you do what you want to do. It's not about me and what I want. It's not about anything. It's just it's you, Jesus. Isaiah 66.1 says, this is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. Could you build me a temple as good as that? Could you build me such a resting place? What would it look like if we became a resting place for the presence of Jesus? I mean, a resting place, just... When he entered the room, we know. And it becomes about so much more. It becomes about so much more than, well, I hope the preaching is good. Oh, that vocalist didn't sound as good. No, 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 because Jesus is here. If Jesus walked into the room, everything changes. You understand that? Please understand that. That when Jesus shows up, nothing can be the same. What would the church look like if we didn't rush through worship? If we didn't, well, this is the seventh time they've sang that bridge. Who cares? If it's what the Lord, if his spirit is on, if it's what the Lord wants, then we're going to sing it a million times. angels and the seraphim have been surrounding the throne for all of eternity singing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of heaven's armies and he hasn't heard of hearing that what happened if we just learn to sit in his presence and wait what would happen if we actually took the job of the priesthood seriously and would not move until Jesus showed up. Are we willing to wait on him? This whole sermon the pastor preached about the upper room and the people that left the upper room. I wish I could get into all that today. I don't have time, but what would happen if at the upper room they got tired of waiting? They just left because, well, It didn't fit into that 90 minutes, so maybe next week we'll give him 90 more. Let me ask you something, church. We invite Jesus here, right? Why would he show up to a place that he's not the first priority? Why would he show up to a house that's more focused on hitting our schedules and getting people out in 90 minutes. It's more focused on the presentation than on him. Why would he actually show up to a house that is more concerned about the process than the presence? Every single week, we have to be a people that lets go of the process. We have a plan. Yes, we're going to plan. But at the we're gone when Jesus shows up. Gone when Jesus shows up. Because hear me, 
Marriages are not restored. Healing doesn't happen. Addictions are not broken. Callings are not established. And revivals don't happen when we just have good church. It happens when Jesus enters the room. When Jesus enters the house. Can we stand? If we're going to be the holy priesthood in his kingdom... We have to come to the realization that being a Christian is not casual. Church, it's not casual. This Christian life has to consume our entire lives and everything about us must change. If we want the manifested presence of the Lord to be in this house, we cannot live one foot in, one foot out. See, the Ark of the Covenant, back in the Old Testament, was hidden. It was put away. You know why they hid the Ark of the Covenant, why they put it away? Because every time they brought it out, somebody died. If we are going to be in the manifested presence of Jesus, we have two options. Change or die spiritually. We can change or we can die spiritually. Jesus has to be everything. He has to be everything. Everything we do has to be funneled through the lens of, is Jesus involved? Was he actually there? And church, hear me, if Jesus is not there, then why waste our time? Are we willing to actually do what it takes to be the priesthood of Jesus? Are we willing to be uncomfortable to be the priesthood? Are we willing to let Jesus into every dark place to be the priesthood? Because hear me, he knows. There is nothing hidden. He knows and he's waiting on us to give it to him. Are we willing to do what it takes to be the church that he has called us to be. Thanks for listening to the Revivify Church Podcast. We hope this leaves you encouraged and inspired to love Jesus more than anything. To connect with us or access other resources, please visit www.revivify.church.